You talk about sharing stories. That's what I do. I'm a storyteller by trade. Oh, gee, you're a, you're a writer? Well, <laughs> I'm a podcaster. What on earth is that? that? <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Do you remember Cha Cha? What? Do you remember Cha Cha? The application where before Google you could just text into the Cha Cha service and ask questions and there was real people. Oh in. yeah. I remember free. Ask Jeeves. Was that like Ask Jeeves? No, it was like it was like just people who sat at a computer and like answered Cha Cha questions. It, you would just text Cha Cha through a, a text message service and ask questions. It was like let me Google that for you, but before Google, so no one. Before, no one could do that for you. It was very, yeah. Was, if you knew what Google was, you could answer the question yourself, or you could just ask Cha Cha, and they went under pretty quickly. Was Anyways, it was it user friendly? It was just you just te- it was like texting someone. Like yeah, it was, it was just a text message. It had number. a number. Yeah, it was a number you just texted like you were texting a friend. Okay, that had to have been better than motherfucking Ask Jeeves. Yeah, who's this internet butler supposed to fucking show me everything I want in life? Mm-hmm. God damn it. Anyways. Welcome back to the March and Mitch Show, starring Celine Santa's Pond. We've all been working at it uh, hardcore for you guys. Thank you for making it to another broadcasting here on the show. I'm more than happy to be talking to you guys today about Piano Has Become the Teeth. Uh, pretty much the only band I know from Baltimore. They're a cool ambient post-rock outfit that takes root in uh, the movement, which happened uh, you know, earlier in the 2010s with bands like La Dispute, uh, Make Do and Mend, who I fucking love, as well as uh, Touche Amore. It's been an interesting amalgam of hardcore, post-rock energy with some ambient and borderline gothic indie, uh, you know, amalgamations of music. Before we talk about our artists this week, I would also like to have our star, Celine Santa's Pond, uh, read me a poem that I like. This is by Robert Frost. And what's the poem called? This poem's called Nothing Gold Can Stay. It's a poem that I actually didn't know until today, so thank you for introducing me to this. Please read it to me. Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today, nothing gold can stay. Thank you so much, Celine. It's been a pleasure to have you read that cool little piece, and I really do like that poem. Um, I don't remember a lot from, you know, my public school days, but that poem always fucking slapped. Like, if Robert Frost was, like, fucking around today, dude, he'd be straight bangers. He'd, <laughs> he'd be on tour with, like, Cold Heart and Will Peep and Wicked Phase and, you know, fucking Post Malone. God damn it. You know what I mean? Ugh. I would love to see a Post Malone show open with whose woods these are. I think I know. His house is in the village, though. Just, like, a really intense, somber, poetic moment. Then Post Malone comes out. Hey! Hey! Somber and poetic, just like my love life. If you're trying to date a dude who looks like Hank Hill, but is the manager of the Hot Topic, come and find me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, uh, Post Malone. That's just his stage name, right? His real name is Austin Post, and his daddy works for the Dallas Cowboys. No, no, that's what everybody thinks. It's actually Postpone Malone's. <laughs> <laughs> I showed you that meme. <laughs> I, I saw that meme before you were born. Oh, so wait, he's trying to I'm delay, delay the imminent nope. payment of the loans and, and taxes. He owes. Oh, fucking hate. Just anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hot Topic. My name is Hank Hill. I sell emotional pain accessories. <laughs> <laughs> emotional pain and emotional pain accessories. <laughs> emotional pain and emotional pain accessories. Actually, you know what? That's actually a really good... Uh, Reference to because it's propane and then emotional. Mm-hmm. Pain. That's very good. It's very clever, Alex. 
and much like the propane you would use to fire up your grill in Arlington, Texas, or if you know you're probably cooler than that, maybe like Austin, Texas, or just nowhere near, uh, you know, a Republican state. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're gonna, <laughs> without further ado, we're gonna talk about the candle burning at both ends in the world of music, entertainment, and culture. Uh, Pianos Become the Teeth is a band from Baltimore. They're comprised of Kyle Durfee, the lead vocalist, Chad McDonald on guitars, Mike York, who also plays guitars, uh, Zach Sewell on bass and backing vocals, and David Hawk, who plays drums and percussion. Um, I had always heard about Pianos Become the Teeth. They felt, you know, from just, you know, my whole uh, relation to the Las Vegas hardcore scene and punk scene, so I didn't really think about them too much after, you know, what followed my high school and college years. But I remember going to uh, see a show in Portland. I won't talk about that gig too much, but I noticed there was someone wearing a sweatshirt hoodie, and on the back it said, Pianos Become the Teeth. And I'm like, where the fuck have I seen that before? Oh, wait, that's a band. It's huh. a stellar band name. It really is fucking mental. I drove home that night, and the song of the week uh, is called Repine. This was the first song I ever listened to them uh, with, with them enjoying Kyle Durfee's music. Um, this band comes from uh, the East Coast hardcore scene. There was a big a bit of a weird matchup of uh, post-hardcore bands who decided like, okay, we're tired of just doing beatdown, breakdowns, screaming, deathcore growls, and just fucking straight up just panic chords, blast beats. And they decided like, well, hey, we kind of want to like find out what a delay pedal is. And like, hey, look, yeah. look, <laughs> hey, a re- a- sorry. Have you guys ever seen a reverb pedal? Look at this critter I found in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they grow on trees. And then um, a lot of these bands, they kind of started to do different stuff. Uh, I'm glad you read the poem today, Celine, because a lot of their music deals with uh, change, growth, learning to accept the past, learning to accept your own shortcomings and faults, and then growing as a person. Um, and I kind of symbolize a lot of that uh, with just the winter, I feel like. Mm. Um, this could probably be one of the coldest winters of our adult lives. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, because oh, okay. it might snow on Thursday. Really? Mm-hmm. But I meant mostly just like the emotional anguish and torment. <laughs> 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 got you, bitch. <laughs> oh, no, he got me again. Ooh. Look at him go. And from, you know, this East Coast hardcore scene, you had bands like Touche Amore were taking, you know, a departure from a post-hardcore, you know, um, attack to just like adding like spoken word bits, adding uh, live poetry, Def Jam style poetry to just like really cool riffs and stuff. And um, Pianos Become the Teeth to me, I feel like they, they made a big risk on this album. This came out a long time ago, circa 2015. But the album to me is just beautiful and poetic. It's It's got this really heavy, like, winters looming over you, you know, like borderline Game of Thrones. Like, this is kind of like where, like, if the shit gets bad, it's going to happen in winter time. You know, uh. if you get the summertime sadness, it's okay because, you know, at least the sun shines out. You can crack open a Corona, turn off, you know, your phone to airplane mode and just kick it with your cat, you know, in the springtime, go swimming, you know, uh, fall albums. I actually, you know, a lot of those fall albums, I feel like were a big influence on pianos become the teeth because you have bands like Captain Jazz American football. But then, you know, they're also just really, really big in that whole, like, uh, I hate to sound like a gatekeeper for punk music, but the DC emotional hardcore scene. Hey, and that patented. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a big meme that's being tossed around right now. They say, like, only real emo is this. But the truth is, at the end of the day, music is music. Guys, call it what you want. If you like T-shirts or music stuff, 
well, just let people enjoy shit. Because I tell you guys, if you're a young kid growing up right now and you're worried about your punk cred or you're worried <laughs> about how cool you are in front of all your friends, after age like 23, 24, that shit doesn't fucking matter. So just like what you like, be who you are, and just learn to just be happy in your own I haven't skin. been cool in at least six years. Oh, yeah. And it's the happiest I've ever been. You know what? I've never worried about my punk cred. That's how I know I always got it. <laughs> and that's why and that's why you know paradox of punk yeah and that's why you know how to kick flip pop shove it your way into people's hearts you know what you i actually did know how to kick flip shove it for a while which is a stupid trick hey anyways i used to i know all those words individually just not really in that order together it's two tricks combined into one which is really Whoa. yeah it's stupid much, much like bands want to put an appearance on because it's a part of their music scene or they have an image they want to project. In the world of skateboarding, Mitchell, have you ever heard of uh, mall grabbing? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what mall grabbing is. Yeah, so mall grabbing, and no one knows where it comes from, but essentially it's just where you walk around, but you hold the board by the truck, which is taboo, I guess. I don't care. Uh, it just seems to be really, like, it, it's just kind of the telltale sign of somebody who's new or, uh, as some would say, I never liked this word, but some would say poser. Um, it was too type of thing where it's like it isn't wrong we just don't do it we just don't yeah we just don't accept it and um, it's funny too I always hated Poser because my last my, my official <laughs> legal last name is Posey Posey and I was always just one letter away from Poser and so I always hated that phrase it's just mean it's just mean to call somebody named like that so um, you're supposed to hold the middle of your board. Don't know why. Uh, honestly, it, I'm it, so happy. You know what this is in a defense remember. position, like grabbing your board by the truck is a much better weapon than holding your board mid center against your, Yeah. Like, uh, we always used to joke about who you don't need a weapon as long as you have a skateboard, unless you're that guy who, you know, didn't, um, never mind. Is this a story? No, <laughs> it's against the, the riots. The kid with the skateboard got shot. What? You didn't see that guy no, who died? No, I I mean, I saw about at the Capitol riot. No, not it wasn't the recent. It was the BLM riots. Oh, yeah. It was one of the guys who died. It was he was carrying a skateboard. And anyways, it's really sad. It's sad. Rest, rest in power, friend. Yes. And much like, you know, there's a sense of elitism in the skateboarding world or a sense of like, this is a maintained image passed down from like one click to the next with, you know, this ministered, yeah. uh, much like there is kind of gatekeeping and elitism in the skateboarding scene. Oh, I feel yeah. like a lot of that happens in the hardcore and metal scene nowadays. There's all kinds of fucked up happening in the hardcore and metal scene. This band uh, decided like, hey, we don't want to be a just, you know, scream core grinding it out fucking metal band. We want to just kind of deviate from the path a bit when bands like them defeater make do and mend law dispute touche more and even like you know mid-career dance gavin dance went that direction <laughs> it created a lot of big buzz in the music scene it made punk people want to check out indie rock and it made you know maybe some indie rock kids wanted to go listen to their old albums and stuff i picked this band because you did gojira last week so i had to keep it kind of metal and shit motherfucker uh, they have several albums. Uh, if you want to listen to their post-hardcore side, I highly recommend checking out uh, The Lack Long After. Uh, the image on the album cover just shows someone in bed next to a window. Really peaceful. But uh, my personal favorite record uh, by them is actually called Keep You, uh, the deluxe edition, because honestly, the B-sides are straight fucking fire. Um, they have kind of that atmospheric warmth you get with a band like Captain Jazz, American Football, uh, even 2000s you know, indie rock, post-rock legends, uh, explosions in the sky i feel like the only people who know explosions in the sky are midwest emo fans or people who watch the movie and subsequent television show friday night lights huh, <laughs> huh. Yeah. yeah i've seen friday night Light. no i haven't 
<laughs> that does not seem up your alley at no. all. Wait, the video film or the straight to TV one? No, none of the above. Ah, you played a trick on me. He means that me. you've seen lights on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm dyslexic. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, uh. So do you uh, do I play the song now or what? Uh, yeah, I'll have more to talk about the band in just a moment. This is going to be a good opportunity to play you guys the song from their 2015 album, Keep You. The song is called Repine. Stay strong throughout the winter, and we'll see you here shortly to talk more about Pianos Become the Teeth. And then it's on to CSP. How's it stand? What a let that sand flush my cheeks, wear me out. Keep me clean, keep me longing, keep the quiet company, wear me out. I heard a voice telling me Like your smoke waving And my eyes repine Wear me out That wick won't burn away It's giving uneven rain
And that was Repine off the 2014 Please, uh, I apologize This album came out in 2014 The Deluxe Edition came out a year later in Shame 2015. The album is called Keep You um, They have so many good tracks on this album The intro track, Ripple Water Shine Creates just kind of this cool You know, just a really Really, really nice, ambient uh, Warm, major chord Just like, you know This is your prologue for the whole album um, you know, when the winter starts, you're probably just, you know, doing your life one day at a time. Things happen, things change. Um, and then, you know, if you stick around and, you know, you learn to just like be cool with yourself and like, you know, not talk shit on yourself or hate yourself, you know, um, things can't always get better, but things can always be different and you won't know unless you stick around. If you didn't want to be here like last year, or you didn't want to be here like a month ago, but you're here today. Um, from the March and Mitch show, we fucking love you so much. And you are such a fucking certified king. <laughs> and just all around, anyone who wants to just be strong and be the best version of themselves, we support you on the show. It's no gender November. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's, no, it's what? What? No. It's so fuck gender, gender February. Forever. It's February. Fuck gender February. Fuck gender February. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What? Don't. What? Don't let the winter uh, grind you down. The first time I heard this song, Repine by Piano's Become the Tooth, um, I'll just never forget the chorus. It's got a really big, uplifting chorus, and it's like, your wick won't burn away. That wick won't burn away. I always think of this you know, concept in writing, uh, film, lots of stuff. If you've seen a show like, uh, or sorry, a movie like The Shining, that's what I call like slow-burning horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like an unraveling, you know? Uh, Mitchell, do you have any good like uh, movies that you would call like like this is a horror movie or a suspense movie where it feels like the candle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller at a slow pace? Movies like that? Yeah. Do you have a favorite horror movie that kind of ties into the music piece? Maybe I would uh, love to hear anything. Hmm, that's a good question. I wasn't really prepared for on the spot horror movies that burn slow. Tusk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel I feel like that was more like a difficulty spike in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, right, right. We went from medium to hard real quick. That was like in Dark Souls where like, okay, cool. I get the mechanics of the game and the wonky fucking character system. Then you go to Blight Town and it's like, okay, yeah. cool. Everything's poison on fire and gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You're not- Maybe a Blair Witch Project. Like, to go back to something that we've covered though, Blair oh, Witch God. Project, I would say, is like one that I think of as kind of that slow burning horror where at first it starts out, it's all fine and dandy. Everything seems fine. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. It's a little dicey. Name of the movie one more time. Sorry. Blair, Blair Witch, Witch Project. Project. Oh, Blair. Yeah, okay. yeah that's actually. Slow- Slow burn like a BVD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, this whole concept is just universal for piano's music. I feel like if you listen to an album, uh, you kind of do get those difficulty spikes like a video game where you're just like the band is kind of ambient and quiet. Then all of a sudden Kyle Durfee's vocals just punch through the mix, just screaming and fucking terror and fucking anguish and just like fear. And there was just this sense of emotion in his vocals that contrasted to the fucking ambiance of the music that made me like, wow, this band is like fucking sick. And I can't believe that, you know, someone that was at a national concert was just rocking a sweatshirt. It kind of all ties into this gothic indie rock universe Um, with tracks like Repine, Ripple Watershine, 895, Arizona. Um, That album is fucking sick. They have a newer album that came out in 2018 where I enjoyed watching the band at the Holocene in Portland. Uh, I would now like to take a moment to thank all of the March and Mitch show artists. Go check out at Swiss Army Wife on Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Music. That's my band featuring Kay Dale and Tim Shepard. Go check out our favorite hip-hop artist, Demi Gaudiari. That's 
at A-R-E on Spotify, Apple Music, and all major platforms. I actually and I know a cool playlist where you can find all those artists. What? It's on our playlist, which you can also find on Spotify. Oh my God, I can't Check believe you've Mitch done Mitchell. this. Yeah. Ah! Celine has a fucking curated playlist if you like curated playlists and you like long organized lists you better go check that out because we talk about nothing but non-stop fire when it comes to good music on this show yeah. um please check out demigodiari also uh jesse tumalo and the rest of the gang at save bandit shout out to carissa and steve sj and motherfucking maya miss you guys um it's been a pleasure to have local artists on the show and in the future we look forward to having more um, as we continue to, you know, get through this winter, you know, you might be having a rough life or shit just kind of sucks, but, um, just keep, keep your head on a fucking swivel. Um, and just, you know, life might suck or shit might be bad, but just, you know, it's all about perspective. I'm not trying to be too preachy here. I'm not a fucking emo youth pastor <laughs> by any means, but, you um, know who also kept his shit together. Yeah. Our Jesus. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> our, Lord, our Lord and Savior, uh, Adam Lazara from Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> oh, my Love goodness. Love your puka show necklace, bro. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Fun fact, in college, I once stole somebody's puka shell necklace because I hated it so much that I just like drunkenly stole it off his neck. Wow. Well, this has been a fun I also lost my cell phone that night, and it turned up with the puka shell necklace. This has been a fun engagement. Alex, you want to go <laughs> do single guy stuff? It was a stupid necklace. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I'm well, a stupid man. Single guy stuff. So that's like where we go to bars and nightclubs, and we both just kind of sit in the corner and, and don't talk to anyone. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I'm, or, just, I'm just saying. Or spit game. The last, the last time I wore a puka shell necklace was in the seventh grade with bleached tips. Oh, you had those frosty tips, Frosty huh? tips and braces with a Abercrombie and Fitch t-shirt oh no that was me in seventh grade you're oh, telling me no. in college you dated a man with no i never said i dated him okay. i actually hated this man okay. i thought he was the most obnoxious person on the planet and i hated his fucking puka shell necklace so i stole it oh okay not because i wanted it because i didn't think anyone should have it uh likely story anyways next most definitely the truth is if you can wield all seven of the puka shell necklaces <laughs> on the west coast it opens a, a gateway to the Abercrombie and Fitch, <laughs> the, the the fucking retail, the discount store, the fucking the 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 what do you call it when shit's on sale? God damn it, clearance rack, the God, clearance store, yeah, God fucking an Abercrombie it. and Fitch store which only sells discount items. And much like you'll find Hank Hill working as the manager at the local Hot Topic, fuck you to Abercrombie and Fitch, and fuck you Hollister, because emo fucking is forever. It's not just a fucking phase. There's a reason why Hot Topic's still around, and fucking Abercrombie sucks dick, and PacSun's going out of business, and, Hell yeah. and Anchor Blue's fucking gone, and what's the other one? Uh, Aeropassel. Oh. <sighs> you know, uh, not to, not to. Sorry for trading on. I'm triggered by that. Sorry for being audacious and probably condescending and elitist. That was not my intention with my tone. I simply just have a flair for the dramatic and I really like fashion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying. Long story short, uh, to wrap up our uh, music piece this week, Pianos Become the Teeth actually performed the smallest show I've ever seen in Portland at the Holocene for well under capacity. Um, I want to say there's maybe like 20 people tops there. They're performing with uh, uh, Queen of Jeans, a great uh, all-girl band from Philadelphia, as well as the longest emo band name ever. The world is a beautiful place and I'm no longer afraid to die. <laughs> what? Which is an amazing fucking band, by the way. Please go listen to all three of those bands. That sounds like the name of an early Panic at the Disco song. <laughs> the world is 
beautiful place and I'm afraid to die. The world is a beautiful com. place and I'm no longer afraid to die. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, on most internet services, they just, they just go acronym. They go full on acronym. Um, that band is amazing. Please check out their body of work. Also check out Piano to Become the Teeth on Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Music. Uh, if you like atmospheric, dark, indie rock, and also want to, you know, see how bands might transition from metal and post-hardcore into the indie rock and gothic ambient scene, please check out Pianos Become the Motherfucking Teeth from Baltimore, Maryland. And go watch the video for Charisma on YouTube from uh, their newest album, Wait for Love, which came out in 2018. Uh, they are teasing stuff on Instagram where they kind of look like they're working on new music. And I'm like, oh, shit, I want to see. Can I see? Come here, come here. Pss, pss, pss. It's like it's like trying to like coerce like a nervous cat to be like, like please show me the new music. And the cat's like, nope, I'm taking a nap again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what a beautiful segment and a beautiful segue. Mr. Marchewski, thank you for bringing us the wonderful, the mystical, the mathematical music format that you do. I and did it. You I'm done real. did. You done did it, son. You done did. You done did. Good kid. Thanks, guys. Next, we are going to bring the um, fair weather Fallout Boy fan, Celine Santa's Pond. Star, what an accusation. Star of the show, celestial in light, cerebral in content. Bring me your current event, please. <laughs> it would be my honor to introduce the current event this week. In the star-swept night. So I want to talk to you guys about the protests that are currently going on in India. And I feel like it's kind of hard to latch onto something that's going on opposite side of the globe where we're not really seeing much of anything about this in our media. Before I mention this this to you guys, had either of you heard of this? No. Nah. This protest movement? No, I have not. And I think that's bananas. And I don't blame you guys because I haven't seen it on social media at all or really at all advertised in the news. Mm -hmm. But there is possibly the largest ever protest in human history happening in India right now. Mm -hmm. uh, this strike and overall protest began in September when the government of India, headed by their president Narendra Modi, passed three laws that directly target the farm industry. Uh -huh. And things got crazy. So at the height, there were 250 million people protesting all across India, but particularly in the capital of, of New Delhi, as well as in the northern provinces, particularly such as Punjab. Mm -hmm. And that's because those are the main farming areas of India. But like I said, this is one of the biggest protests that's ever happened in human history. I mean, 250 million people is just a bananas amount of people. Like, and that's it's almost all, as many people as there are Americans. And it's all coming down to agriculture? It's all coming down to agriculture. And this is the type of thing where it's been a long time building, sort of like our Black Lives Matter protests, where uh -huh. it's not like one horrible thing happened and people were outraged. It's... So many terrible things happened and people finally said th that this is enough and we're taking to the streets. But this has been, like I said, ongoing since, since September. And it's been largely quashed by a lot of media outlets. I mean, like we mentioned, neither of you guys have heard about this. I only happened to see one random thing pop up that was like, Rihanna is talking about these protests. Yeah. I was like, that's weird. And I looked into it and we really should be talking about this. Um, so the backstory is kind of that... There are these three laws that were passed by the president and the overall ruling government, and they basically seek to deregulate the agricultural industry. So the main thing that they do is make it so that you don't have to work with a middleman. You don't have to work with government regulations on how much things should be priced. Uh -huh. And 
the way that the government is touting it is this frees everybody. This gives everybody more freedom to be able to run their business the way that they want to. The problem is that by giving everybody more freedom, that means that the people who need resources have fewer of them. So even though half the workforce in India is employed in the agricultural sector, like on small agricultural farms. Are they like unionized then? or Actually, the main force behind these protests has been the farmers unions Word, okay. throughout India. So there are a lot of unions and there's a lot of farmers that aren't unionized, but are also, you know, the unions still take them into consideration. But these laws were not passed with any of the unions involved. There were no talks with the farming unions. There were no tar- talks with actual farmers. It was entirely pushed through by major agricultural businesses. And so while the government says, oh, OK, so now farmers can negotiate directly with buyers. The drawback is that small farmers have way less negotiating power. The government is no longer guaranteeing like a minimum price that they'll pay for crops and there's no requirement for there to be contracts. Mm -hmm. So even if a small farmer says, hey, I I want to have a contract with this company, there's no obligation for that company to enter into a contract. So it's really easy for farmers to get fucked. And there's also no more legal recourse. There's like small, weird little like bureaucratic avenues that you can go into to say, hey, this company fucked me over when I was selling them my goods. But there's no court. To decide on any of this, so it's it's a shit show. Yeah. Is basically how it does sound like a shit show. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I kind of picked up from that is just basically the government is just kind of profiting profiting off the population and the in the whole agriculture, you know, demographic to just kind of fuck people. Is that essentially what I am I correct? That it's it's kind of it's that partnered okay. with the government basically partnering with major agricultural industries, so Thank like you for big business, like. You know, like the equivalent in the U.S. would be Monsanto. Uh. So basically, it's a matter of small farmers. In this case, the vast majority of Indian farmers own less than five acres. Okay. So they're mainly subsistence farmers, but do sell surplus. Uh And so far, the government has said, we'll give you a minimum price for this surplus. The government acts as the middleman. No longer going to do that. So, so now it's basically cut, at the market's liberty. Cutting prices. Exactly. It's, oh. it's a very free market. Oh, idea. yeah, yeah. I get it. So essentially it's that before the government was a middleman saying, these are the prices. And now they're cutting out the quote unquote middleman. And now corporations can go direct and be like, we're not going to pay that. We're going to pay you this. Exactly. And so if there's an Indian equivalent of Monsanto. <laughs> yes. Disgusting. Then they can say, well, hey, private buyer. I know that you agreed to purchase grain from this small farmer, mm-hmm. but what if I undercut my profits and I sell it to you for, you know, at a loss, but now we have this ongoing business relationship. Yeah. So it's basically the Monsanto Walmart issue. Right. The whole idea behind that is that you're essentially getting locked into a, a, a contract with the devil at that point, because once you sign on that, hey, we have an agreement, they can, you know, put loopholes and then go back mm-hmm. and be like, well, we were going to pay you this price, but we noticed that so and so and blah, blah, blah. And now we're only going to we'll, we're only going to offer you this price. And we know you mm-hmm. have to sell your crop and you can't sell it to anybody else. So you have to sell it to us. And now we're going to save twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That's that's exactly right. So it's like the South Park episode where the Walmart puts all the local businesses out of business pretty much. Yeah. Fucking A. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reference. Yeah. That's a good episode. I, I remember seeing that one. Walmart. That was. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. A plus, Alex. In- yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. <laughs> India. Why you got to be like that? It's not India. It's the government of India. Please well, for- and it's please forgive my statement. And it it's part of an ongoing issue. So the mm-hmm. issue of farmers being fucked by, you know, small farmers being fucked by major agricultural businesses, yeah. that's been ongoing. And for 
about a decade now, there's been a really tragic crisis of Indian farmers committing suicide practically en masse. Uh, Just a a really tragically absurd number of farmers committing suicide, specifically because they are in debt because of companies undercutting their profits. So they have to go into debt and it's just inextricable. So like I said, this isn't an issue of this one bad thing happened. It's an issue of this one bad thing was the straw. Yeah. And now 250 million people are saying this broke the camel's back. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, obviously I think that this is a meaningful topic no matter who we are or where we are in the world. I think that it matters that farmers don't get, you know, fucked out of their livelihoods. But it also has a lot of really important global ties. And I think that if more people start to hear about what's happening in India, I do really think that it has the potential to change the way that we talk about not just the farm industry, but business in general. Because when we look at things globally, there's, you know, India is kind of a microcosm of an existing global crisis. So throughout the globe, 70% of global farmland is owned by 1% of farms. Mm -hmm. So kind of like the whole 90% of wealth is owned by 1% of people. Mm, It's that, but in farmland terms. Hmm. And this has happened mainly, historically, it's happened mainly in America and Europe that farming has been so privatized. But now India is starting to see this more and more as these these big global conglomerates get involved. And in America, we have some really tragic and similar uh, narratives. Uh, for example, 90% of, throughout the 1900s, 90% of black-owned farmland was seized by corporations or illegally sold to white farmers. That's fucked. Yeah, so like one in or one in ten black farmers in the nineteenth century got to keep their land. The other nine didn't. And more recently, there has been virtually no relief from the Trump administration for small farms since COVID happened. So any pandemic relief has gone almost entirely to major corporations that don't need tax handouts, and so it exacerbates this crisis of small farms going out of business. While these companies that don't need handouts that are multi-million dollar corporations are getting tax cuts. Weird. Yeah, and it's not awesome. And, you know, it it does make me wonder, well, gee, why aren't more major U.S. outlets covering what's happening in India? And, I, you know, I think it's interesting that companies like the Wall Street Journal, owned by Jeff Bezos, aren't covering things that are happening in India, like these major outcries against corporatization. And I think that if we start to learn more about what's happening here, I think that more and more people will be kind of educated on the process of how this type of privatization takes place. And ultimately, this impacts all of us because these large farms, on top of being just uniquely terrible as far as the economics go, also are like really uniquely bad about environmental protection. So things like having monocultures, like they'll only farm one specific crop for years and years at a time. You're not supposed to do that. Exactly, That's yeah. Farming 101. Exactly. Um, you know, and you look back to like feudal farmers in like the 1400s and like the common practice was you've got like two spots of your land actively producing and one that lays fallow for a season so that it can regain the nutrients in the soil. Major farm corporations don't do that. They don't have time to let their land regain its natural resources. So yeah. they just dump and dump and dump things like fertilizer and things like yeah. pesticides into the soil ultimately damaging our our environment way worse than any small farms are doing yeah i thought you're supposed to rotate your crops basically 
Exactly. Like you don't have you. I don't even think you have to leave it. Uh, you don't even have to leave it uh, dormant for a season. You just have to rotate the right crop into it that doesn't need the specific nutrients. Exactly. Like uh, beans are considered soil fixers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Because beans actually don't really sap nitrogen from the soil, and yeah. nitrogen is necessary for most other crops. Beans tend to enrich the nitrogen. Yeah. You go. You go corn, bean and uh whatever your third crop is and then you just like rotate like the a venn diagram and just that's what you do you just exactly. rotate the three and so for a small farmer it makes sense to do that because that's more cost effective because you don't need to purchase you know crazy fertilizers yeah. and it's also better for the earth whereas a major corporations like why would mm. i let this ground regain its natural resources when i could just purchase a fuck ton of this fertilizer that has nitrogen in it it's and dump my, that it's my money and i want it now exactly exactly <laughs> it's, almo- it's almost like big pharma like it's like take all these pills and medicines and then like i guess you know the government in india is like take all this shit that you need with the soil and the dirt Exactly. Yeah. It's very much that like, well, okay, so I took a pill to fix this and then I had to take another pill to fix the side effects of that first pill and then et cetera, et cetera. That, but just with fertilizer and nutrients and stuff. Understood. Do you see, do you feel like the United States can help out in any way or will the United States intervene in any way? I, I honestly think it's really deeply unlikely because major farm business in the U.S. is so entrenched. But I do think that the way that America can help is by Americans understanding what's going on, first of all, in India, but second of all, just as far as what it looks like to be a farmer in America these days. Like, small farms in America are struggling almost as much as small farms in India. Oh, shit. And it's it's something that we don't really acknowledge, I think, because we kind of think of ourselves as a post-agrarian society. But ultimately, this matters because, you know, first of all, it's a matter of basic fairness. We don't. I don't think anyone on this podcast thinks that some small farmer should be shysted out of a living. But also, it's a matter of wealth inequality. It's a matter of these corporations getting to make a ton of money at the expense of everybody else. And it's ultimately a matter of environmental and agricultural stability. So if you care where your food comes from and if you care about having a planet to have more food down the road, this is ultimately something that affects everybody. And that's why I was so excited about this topic this week is because it's an intersection of a lot of things that a lot of people can care about. Mm Mm-hmm. Well said. Thanks for keeping us informed this week. I learned a lot. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. All right. And Google the protests in India. You can learn (laughs) a lot. I recommend the Al Jazeera articles. Al Jazeera has some incredible coverage of what's been going on. Boom. All right, guys. I think you have anything else to say, Roundtable? Anything? Any last thoughts? Any last comments, questions, concerns? Do we have a moment of zen this week? Any any inside jokes or goofy happenings or shenanigans? Uh, well, as long as your ceiling's not raining poo water, I think you're in a good spot. <laughs> There's your inside joke. Hey. Yeah. All right, then, everybody. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Mosh and Mitch Show starring Celine Santa's Pond. Uh, I'm taking a proverbial PTO week because uh, I work today, so... Uh, no movie for you. No soup for you. No movie for you. We'll have the movie next week. It's okay. Relax. Guys. I don't promise that. We don't know that for sure. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. We'll decide when we get there. I've, oh. been, I've been meaning to do a nostalgia trip for the, the 1988 uh, sequel, Sling Dingers 2, Sling Dingers on Patrol. What about um, City Slickers? City Slickers? Okay. That was a good. That's an old, good movie with, um, anyways. Joe Pesci? Joe Pesci in the movie? Your mom's Joe Pesci. Donnie DeVito's? Donnie DeVito?
Good night, everybody.